to What Is It About the Weather? Where once a week we get together to explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our everyday lives. This week, this week we're going to try to address the question of, did weather give us the Statue of Liberty? But before we get there, all right, so a few of you, right, can just kind of ignore me for the next minute. Those of you who have acted upon the word survey, just kind of drone me out for about 60 seconds or so. For those of you who haven't, as long as you're not driving or doing something dangerous, open a web browser. What is it about the weather.com slash survey? Literally, it'll take you 60 seconds. No, you're not going to get some great prize for filling out the survey. Are your responses helpful? Yes, they are and are appreciated. As with surveys, you tend to get a very, very small response from the audience that's requested of. All I want is to get better than the average response. But please, take a moment. What is it about the weather.com slash survey? And know that soon I will stop asking you to do that. All right, so everybody else, now you, now you can come back in. I don't even think that took 60 seconds. And the survey doesn't take that long either. It's really quick. Now, my weather week, I don't know about yours, but you know, my, mine was kind of a straight-up weather week. So as, as I was recording last week, you know, I was telling you about the snow event. And I will tell you, I'm sure glad I wasn't having to forecast it. Because when I was talking to you guys, I had kind of looked at the, the data the day before and the models. And it didn't look too bad for where I was. And I will tell you, for me individually, where I sit, I was kind of on this dividing line. And I got a fair amount of snow. I certainly got more than some of the early forecast were. But at the same time, you know, I, I know the nuances. I know that, for instance, where I am, the difference between a tenth of an inch of rain and a half an inch of rain is really not that much. But when you translate that into snow, it can be pretty meaningful. And that's kind of what happened. The the precip we kind of always knew about where the line was going to be and exactly where the precip line was going to be. I mean, we, we knew all those components were going to be there. And the people that were having the forecast kind of knew that. But I will tell you that it created a lot of chaos. I mean, as I was recording last week, you know, the snow was just getting ready to start to fall. And kids were getting on onto their buses going to school and people were going to work. And by, I don't know, a couple hours later, schools were being canceled and everybody was trying to get home at once. And heavy snow was falling and it just created chaos. It was an interesting event. I enjoyed it. I didn't have to deal with that. I didn't have anywhere I had to go. The oh, So many people trying to get anywhere in it, it once in a big city. It's kind of, uh, well, it's worse than rush hour. And I've experienced it a few times. The benefit we had is while the snow was heavy and falling, in the end, for the most part, people were able to get to where they needed to. Right? And what was even funnier, like around me after that, and, and even in an area that got a fair amount of snow, the, re the streets you could get around on, we stayed above freezing all night. It wasn't until the following night that things really dropped down below. But the rate at which the snow fell was just, it was more than, I mean, melt, when it's cold, if it's cold enough to snow, don't assume that the snow is just going to magically melt immediately, right? I mean, that, that's kind of one of those rules. But I ended up being over on, on the Weather Brains podcast this week. And this is a topic we got into, which is, is it better to miss and say there's going to be a lot of snow and fall short or the other way around? And I do think it kind of depends where you are. But in the South, I think it's better to err on the cautious side. But again, a lot of the data 
up until that time left a lot of uncertainty. The night before, and again, I hadn't really looked deep into that data, kind of pointed towards it could be a bad event. And, and west of me, where they got really hit, close to a foot of snow, this early in December, in the south, you just you couldn't imagine it. Right? And I kind of related that to all the rainfall with Hurricane Harvey that we had this year. You know, it's not that the models didn't eventually tell us that this could happen. Then they did eventually get there. It's just sometimes that's hard to believe. And sometimes when the models have been fluctuating or it's not a lot of forecasts that you have with that same data point, it can be hard to believe. Top Put on top of that is sometimes the models do project these kind of numbers in, in particularly around where I am, and they dismiss. But it's all the nature of that beast. I loved it, of course. You know me. I'm a, I'm a snow person. I can't get enough of it. So I had a really good time. Not everybody did. <laughs> but that's really not why we're here today, is it? So let's move on to the main topic. Let, let's talk about Napoleon. Right? We had to get to Napoleon, right? You didn't really think it was like whether the ship that brought... Maybe there's a story there. I don't know if there was some story about the ship that brought the Statue of Liberty and the weather it, it dealt with. But the Statue of Liberty really came about kind of post-Napoleon. It was kind of a little bit of a, a, a jab at Napoleon. Because here we had the French Revolution take place, and the whole idea was to topple the royalty and the royal rule. And in the end, we ended up with a dictator, right? I mean, that kind of didn't really help the situation. Now, there were a couple years in there. You know, he didn't rise to power immediately. But in any case... Let's talk a little bit. Of, let's put Napoleon in context and then move forward with this. So what do we know? All right, or what, where, what have you heard about Napoleon, maybe? You've probably heard of the, the famous Napoleon complex, right? You may have heard that he was supposedly very short, that he was only five foot two. Well, the reality is he was five foot two because the inches they used were different than our modern-day inches or modern-day measures. So he was really taller than that. He was kind of average for the time. You may have heard about the Battle of Waterloo, which was his final downfall. You may have heard about Napoleon ice cream. All right, no such thing, but I swear that's what I called it when I was a kid. Neapolitan ice cream, which was the mixing of the flavors of the day, vanilla, strawberry, and chocolate, all in one container. I liked Napoleon ice cream. Why I called it Napoleon ice cream, I'll never know, but that was what was stuck in my head. But back to Napoleon, you may have heard, you may have heard about his famous march on Russia and the failure thereof. And that's where we're going to focus today. But those are all things that maybe you've heard of when you think of Napoleon. Well, let's summarize him a little bit. He lived for about 51 years. I don't know. I think, it, I think he was 51 when he passed away. That was the final number. Would die of stomach cancer. And actually, that was a kind of a, a thrown out there that the reason he always had his hand on his stomach in all those pictures is because he had stomach pain. I, whether it's true or not, don't know. He would rise through the military around the time of the French Revolution. Right? He came into power through another French word, coup d'etat. Coup was around before then, but the d'etat is, is basically you know, overthrowing the state, more or less. And he grew a massive empire in a very short period of time. Let's be clear on that. His reign was roughly 16 years from beginning to end. But at its peak, you know, it was sometime less than that. A little over, let's say a little over 10 years. Essentially, he had 
come to dominate all of Europe. And that's pretty impressive when you think about, for instance, how long it took the Roman Empire to become the Roman Empire that it was. And it would be, you know, some of the other empires that were going on at that time, a lot of it was as seafaring was expanding. And yes, that would just add to the amount of time it took to do anything, right? So the stuff that happened on land happened relatively quickly. And it's also agreed on, generally speaking by historians, that the beginning of his end was this famous Russian campaign. And many of the stories that accompany this Russian campaign, this Russian war, Russian battle, the march to Moscow, whatever you want to call it, that would take place in roughly six months in the year of 1812, most historians will agree that's the beginning of the end. That was where, right before that, he was at his peak, had built this impressive army, this impressive empire, but shortly thereafter, he would never recover. Yes, he got out of Russia alive. Yes, he was still in power. Yes, he would build a new army. Yes, it would not be quite as powerful as any of the previous ones because he was working from people that, you know, he's trying to bring people in, and he, he did. He still built this army, but it was built with people without experience. He didn't have the horses or anything else. So, again... We're agreed kind of how we get to point A. We're agreed that it was the beginning of the end and he would never quite recover from it. You know, he would famously lose at the Battle of Waterloo, right? That would happen in 1815. And some people even speculate that it seemed like he wanted to lose that day. So let's talk about the Russian peace. And let's talk about whether weather was the primary reason or a particularly influential reason that he would lose that battle. So some of the some of the basics of that battle would take place between June and December of 1812. It would go from a place that, so the the starting point is considered to be the Neiman River. The Neiman River today flows through what is Lithuania and Belarus. Back in the day that was part of Poland, right? And he would start the battle with somewhere on the order of 600,000 troops between the French army itself and his allies. These numbers, and this is always part of the the guesswork, is the numbers have always been speculated as to how much or how few. But I don't think the percentages, if you look at the accounts, change all that much between what he started with and what he ended with. Now, the path to Moscow, which was as far as he got in to Russia, and this river, that distance is roughly a thousand kilometers, and would include cities like Vilnius and Smolensk, where some famous battles took place. But he made that progression of a thousand kilometers in approximately three months, and that's pretty—it's a lot of distance to cover. Now you may think oh, a thousand kilometers—I can do that in a day. Today, yeah, sure, paved roads, getting an airplane. Nice modern car, but walking and and or with horses, right? So he had roughly, that's you know another estimate, I think 150,000 horses that went in, and a fraction of those would come out as well. 
So all those pieces to the equation, right? When he came out, and this is you know kind of what matters. Like I said, it's it's clear that this was the end failure to achieve his goal, which is still, that's the debatable part, is what was really his goal? What was his aim? Why did he start this battle? Russia had kind of been an ally, had kind of done some things recently where they weren't being an ally, and the belief was his goal was not to overthrow Russia. The goal was to get uh, an accord where Russia would firmly become an ally again. And he thought this was going to happen much sooner than having to go all the way to Moscow. But there are the basics. Starts in mid-June with roughly 600,000. Let's say he left Russia with somewhere on the order between 100 and 150,000. Big reduction. Most historians agree. And I, I, I didn't find any that really disagreed. I'd find some that would hint at maybe that not being the only or the primary reason. This was the reason that Napoleon would eventually lose power. So we're going we're gonna to work with that assumption. But so where, where does the weather come into play, right? What, what is the big deal about the weather? I mean, Mark, you're talking about going into to Russia in June and, you know, and getting to Moscow three months later. doesn't sound like the weather was too bad. And for the most part, it wasn't. There are accounts of some storms up front, but you would expect that in any kind of battle in general. But even that first battle, there's talk about how there was a freak hailstorm and some, some, you know, really severe weather that led to the death of a, of a bunch of horses initially in that first battle. But generally speaking, it was it was hot. It was a hot summer, maybe a little hotter than normal. But weather itself didn't appear to have a direct relation between the start and getting to Moscow. Again, possible I missed something in my review, but generally speaking, it doesn't seem to be the case. Where weather seems to be the case is on the retreat. That maybe the Moscow winter started a little earlier, the Russia winter started a little earlier than it normally would. And there is no way you can say that it didn't play a role in the amount of people that went from Moscow that would ultimately leave the country and the influence of the loss of horses, the loss of, of lives, you know, both troops and prisoners, all these things, and led to horrific things. I mean, there, there are firsthand stories about, uh, you know, having human liver soup for dinner and stuff like that. So people froze to that. Uh, you know, you think about, we, we, we got the new launch day, right, the latest Star Wars movie, and you look back to The Empire Strikes Back when, you know, Luke is famously saved from this icy planet by being stuck in the, the body cavity of the I forget the type of creature, but the creature he was riding when he when he went out there. And there were stories like that, right? You know, essentially using carcasses to keep warm and things like that. So it was gruesome. The temperatures apparently got us cold during this process towards the end of negative 40. Now, I can throw out negative 40 as kind of a, a firm number that everybody sees the same way if you look at things at either Fahrenheit or Celsius. Because for both of us, negative 40 is the same thing. It's one of those times when those scales come back to, you know, overlapping each other. And it's just cold, right? If you're not dressed for that, if you're out in the exposed weather, that's just cold. So blizzard, cold weather, not, not the whole time, but certainly during this retreat phase. So you have to kind of wonder, okay, 
we could clearly see that weather played a role on that backside flow. But how influential was that? I mean, where does that sit in the scheme of this overall defeat, if you will? And I think that's really the question you have to answer. Now, here, let's categorize it two ways and maybe you can then make the decision. This is one of those ones where I have an opinion. And I think you can kind of figure it out from even the way I'm presenting it. But I want you to make the call. So I'm going to give you some evidence of of the vote of was weather either the influential or a particularly critical thing in the reason this happened, or was it not? So gave you the starting numbers, gave you the ending numbers. What I should also give you is the amount of people that got to Moscow or, or that were still active because some of them would have stopped at different points along the way and, and been garrisons along the theoretical supply path, which has been argued it wasn't a very good supply path. But getting from point A to point B, when he gets to Moscow, somewhere on the order, if we go, if we use that 600,000 number, somewhere on the order of between 200 and 300,000 people were already, is, was all that was left. So somewhere between three and 400,000 people were already killed, were captured, whatever it might be. So he'd lost already between a half and two-thirds of his army by the time he got to Moscow. And again, I don't want to completely discount the weather on the way. We heard about the weather influence in that initial battle. A lot of the men died from typhus, right? which it is believed that the warm, hot summer helped spread. And typhus is a kind of a weird thing. You, you can read about that, but yeah, it's, it was an insect problem. We've talked about insect issues before. But soldiers, you know, pushing to move forward, not being able to bathe or change clothes or anything like that or get clean, along with the people they encountered, was a big factor. And it's believed that that killed as many as 140,000 of the men Again, all of those wouldn't have died in, in the move up, but some of it could have happened on the way out as well. So know that somewhere between two-thirds and a half, and maybe even a little bit more, but at least a half, and may, it could have been as much as three-quarters, of the troops that he started with, his campaign with, were gone by the time he got to Moscow, the peak of the battle. On the retreat, as I said, hands down, Lots of bad weather-related things. There, you know, all sorts of paintings about this. And this is what you see. You see these this gruesome Russian winter. But, but again, with all that data in hand, let, let's, let's put the for and against numbers for you to think about. So if you believe, if you believe that weather was a primary thing, you may use one of the following arguments. It helps spread that disease. There's arguments for that. The... It killed, it, it directly, it killed tens of thousands of soldiers. No doubt about that. It also, during that retreat march, was, was a primary influence, both in direct deaths, the, the just demoralizing state, so that anybody that did survive that would have had that impressed upon their memories forever and would have told about how that was a key thing. Right. If you've ever been out in the cold, I, it, you know it just it it can get to your bones, right? If you don't have a way to get warm, and and it, that can stick with you. 
So you would make the argument that one of those things, that that they would see all those things and say, you know, it was because of, of Napoleon that we all suffered, even those of us that survived, that he drew us into that weather. But in the end of the day, it was, it was, it was the weather, you know, somehow that was related to it. So, you know, that, that's one angle to look at it. If you were voting against it, you would say, well, there was just a lot of bad military decisions along the way. They lost too many troops to, to bad battles, and there were a lot of killed in, in battles. So maybe the military tactics that were used weren't particularly good. Went too far for the supply lines. The Russians used a, a technique called the scorched earth approach, right? So even as he, he went into Moscow, roughly two-thirds to three-quarters of the city was destroyed by fire. So he didn't have as much supplies, although it is discussed that, you know, maybe the supplies, because most of them were in cellars, were there. But it wasn't a big city that he could populate a, a population for the winter of an, an army for the winter and, and withstand it, probably, right? But he outran his supply lines along the whole way. There's debate. I mean, when you when you have all these horses and, and men and everything, it, it's not as simple as just having, you know, a bit of grain stores going along the way. There's more to it than that. Or having a little grass on the side of the road. If you want healthy fighting people and animals... You, you gotta have you gotta be well equipped, and so a lot of speculation that he just was way ahead of his supply lines. And as it's been stated, he never thought he was gonna have to go that far. He thought he was gonna fight this first battle; it was gonna be a decisive victory. And you know, just a hundred kilometers in, he was magically gonna have been able to pursue peace. And that's just not what happened. So this retreat took place right in the end. So then it becomes this question even also of was it the weather or was it his bad decisions that led to the weather having the influence that it had? Yeah, and that, that's kind of a, I, you get into this chicken and the egg thing, but I can understand it, right, where had he not hung out in Moscow so long, he could have left Russia with the, the bulk of his troops, they wouldn't have been demoralized, and therefore, you know, weather would have been a nominal, nominal influence, and quite frankly, he may not have fallen for power. So, you know, you could then throw that back into the four camp of, see, it, it's because of his bad decisions and the corresponding weather. Uh, it, again, it, you get a little chicken debate, chicken egg debate. But in short, it's, I think you, what you really have to look at is whether you feel that the march out of the country, right, was the reason that he was never re able to regain his status. Because if you if you think of that as being the real reason, then weather is certainly a factor. If you think the march to Moscow was really, you know, we, we talk about this Russian event being the beginning of the end, but if you think the march to Moscow and the fact that he was never able to achieve um, what he was looking to achieve by that point, then you would essentially vote that weather was was not, you know, it's not say that people didn't die along the way, but that was not the the history changing event, if you will. Right. So which do you vote for? Which do you think? I referenced a book in here, and there's a lot of links in the show notes to different things to reference. There's a lot of material written on this, and I watched an interesting debate, or at least the start of it, between a couple of prominent authors. One of which. Um, whose whose materials I used quite a bit. So Adam Zamoyski, I think, is is how you uh, 
properly pronounce his name, is one of them. I reference a lot of his material because he had done a lot of work on this specific event. And he debates another famous author, and, and they talk about different aspects of just, you know, how we should look at Napoleon in general. Tons of material to call upon if you really like these things. I'm going to send him, though. I'm going to send him an email. I'm going to ask him what he thinks. I think I kind of know. But, you know, I'll be curious. What do you think? Right? Let me know. Do you think that with this information you have at hand, and again, you can look through the additional information as well if you want before you make up your mind. You don't have to rush to decide this. You can even ponder on it for a few weeks if you want to. But let me know what you think. Was weather the reason that Napoleon would ultimately lose power and therefore us getting the Statue of Liberty? I look forward to your thoughts. Now, as I was going through this whole event, oh, I you know, I guess I should have said, what is it about the weather.com slash contact or what is it about the weather at gmail.com? Send me your thoughts. I should have mentioned that probably. But as I was going through this, see, it was, it was some squirrel moments, I guess. And so I got a little squirrel there for a second. I was caught up by all the interesting things. As always with these history episodes, I get into a lot of little tidbits, little nuances of things, and I learn a lot of things. And there were some interesting things that are very relevant to what I do. Okay. So they, they definitely had a weather component. Now, I mentioned the stuff about Napoleon at his height, which I found kind of interesting. I learned a lot about the foods Napoleon liked. I mean, I could have named the, the, the title, is the reason we don't eat shrimp because of X or Y or Z. Any case, I did. But I did come across an interesting tidbit from, from a couple different angles. One was particularly, and I, again, a link in the show notes, about a, a gentleman named Charles Menard. And I've even referenced a paper about this guy who wrote a famous graph. And it kind of shows this progression of the troops from point A to point B and back, you know, from the river to Moscow and back past the river. Right, And this is what is considered one of the early pioneers in thematic mapping. Now, thematic mapping is where we try to show something within the context of, of some visualization. Now, sometimes, like, when you look at elections, right, and they may show you which county or state or whatever voted in a certain way, you're representing a, a different piece of information on top of that geographical information. Well, he wrote this fam famous campaign map that showed the reduction in troops over time, how he progressed from point A to point B. It was very, very well done. And, and as you can imagine, this thing was written, I think it was drawn up in like the 1830s. It's just incredible that this kind of stuff was coming to the, the forefront at the time. Whereas today we do it all with computers and we have all this easy way to overlay point A and point B. Back then they really had to think about how am I going to create this visualization. Very impressive. And the other thing was Rayamur scale of temperature. And this gets into that Napoleon thing about his height. They had a different temperature scale that was slightly different than Celsius. Right, and so you you've always got to reconcile these things when you go through this. I don't know. It was just kind of a really interesting, neat tidbits. Again, tons of stuff in the show notes to look at. Now, let's wrap up and let you get on your way. As I said early in the podcast, and I'm going to just say again, it's the end of the podcast. Now you can open up a web browser. What is it about theweather.com/survey? Yes, it would mean a lot to me, and yes, I do appreciate you taking the time to do it. And on that note. 
As we have reached the end of yet another episode, you may be doing holiday shopping, you may be getting ready for kick off the new year. I don't know what you're doing right now. But just keep your eyes open, your ears open, your mind open to what you might learn about how weather is playing a role in your lives or played a role in why we are where we are today. Because as we all know, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. This is two words for production. We're tired of hearing our uncle grovel, so please support him on patreon.com slash weather.